the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're already rolling on Always Right Radio. It is Wednesday. It is the fifth morning of the tenth month of the year of our Lord 2022. We've got a big show lined up for you today. Got a couple of very important guests. At eleven ten today. Our regular Wednesday commentator is our State House correspondent and also the editor and founder of the Ohio Press Network, Jack Windsor. He'll be by to talk about a little bit of a kind of a kind of an empty win. I guess we'll call it that an empty win for a Columbus area bar that was tortured and tormented like so many other businesses during Mike DeWine and and Dr. Amy Acton, the walking, mumbling, bumbling lab coat, their reign of terror over the state of Ohio uh, during COVID, particularly in 2020. One Columbus area bar has gotten some modicum of, of satisfaction here because they finally got an appeals court to admit that what was done to them by, by um, uh, Mike DeWine and Amy Acton's Gestapo was wrong, was illegal, and they were unfairly targeted. We're going to talk to Jack about that story because there's uh, there's an important, it's an important one. Uh, like I said, it's probably two years too late, and for other businesses who suffered the same types of um, 
pop surprise, you know, plain clothes inspections and catching, oh, this guy was standing up. He was standing up when he took a drink. That means he could have spread COVID. This guy wasn't a full six feet away from another guy. This bar is closed. All of that crap that happened, which is one of the reasons why I despise and abhor and revile Mike DeWine and will continue to do so all the way through this election. Um, all, all of that stuff costs so many businesses their their uh, their businesses. So many owners, I guess I should say, their businesses. Others hung on uh, by the skin of their teeth and are still in the red and still trying to climb out. And uh, it was just so unfair. And Jack has got this story covered uh, top to bottom and uh, left to right. So we're going to have that for you coming up at 1110. We're also going to talk to Jack about the Parents' Bill of Rights, which is a very important piece of the legislation that is going to be before the Ohio. It is in the Ohio General Assembly right now about parents having the right to participate in their kids' education and know what's going on in these woke public schools. So a number of uh, statewide issues that we're going to be talking about with Jack Windsor at 1110. And one hour before that, I know it's a little weird to go non-chronological, but work with me here. DJ Swearinger, Swearingen, excuse me, is um, a state representative from Huron, and uh, he's going to talk to us about issue one. Are you following any of the issues that are going to be on the ballot in November. We're always talking about the races. We're talking about the Senate race. We're talking about a House race. We're talking about, um, you know, statewide. We're talking about the Ohio Supreme Court. Three positions uh, uh, that are up for grabs. Uh, but nobody's really talking about the issues. We should be talking about particularly issue one, a constitutional amendment having to do with bail reform and more specifically requiring judges to consider not just flight risk but also threats to the community when they assign bail or no bail uh, to let people out after they've been accused particularly of violent crimes and uh, significant felonies. So that is, uh, that's a big deal. Ohio issue one, determining bail amount based on public safety amendment. And, uh, Representative Swearingen is, uh, in big, big support of this. We're going to have him on to talk about that. And he'll also talk to us about the Parents' Bill of Rights. So there you have it. At 1010, DJ Swearingen will be joining us, representative from Huron. And then at 1110, it'll be Jack Windsor, which means the whole first hour is yours and a good significant portion of the second hour as well. So we have a lot of time for you today. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now I'm going to get to the uh, lead stories that I have for you this morning. And we're going to take on the culture wars fast and furious uh, because we have to. This is getting kind of out of control. It's getting out of hand. And I'll explain what I mean in just a moment after we rise. Patriots, go ahead and rise, wherever you may be. Stand and face your flag. If you don't have a flag, it's okay. You don't have to have one, but if you have one, please take a look at it and put your hand on your heart and join us. If you're driving and listening to the radio this morning, just put your hand on your heart. We've had people try to stand while they're driving. It just doesn't work out well. If you are a believer in Brandon, if you are a believer that Elon Musk is a threat to free speech and a threat to the republic for taking over Twitter rather than a supporter and a champion of free speech that might actually cut into the left's stranglehold and monopoly on the social media public square space. Well, then you don't have any earthly idea what that flag represents anyway. You don't have to stand stand for it. Go ahead and do what you're more comfortable with. Go ahead and take a knee for it next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice 
for all. So as I tackle these culture wars and issues uh, that are in front of us right now, locally, statewide, and federally, I have about six different ones that I could start with, to be 100% honest. Uh, I'm not sure which one is the best one, so I'm going to go and roll with Elon Musk. The left is flipping. They are melting down. They are drowning in a sea of their own tears. And I find that glorious. Can you dig it? What are they so afraid of, you ask? They're afraid of freedom. They're afraid of a concept that is completely foreign to them. The concept of liberty. The concept of rights. The concept of the First Amendment. They're terrified of it. They're terrified that Elon Musk, who has pledged that if indeed when he bought and took over Twitter, would be bringing free speech back to the platform, they are just apoplectic about that. Uh, Fox Business reported yesterday that Twitter intended to close the deal for Musk's $44 billion acquisition of of the social media company at $54.20 per share. The original offer Musk made in April, if you recall, he tried to back out of the deal once he found uh, through uh, some uh, vetting that the membership, the number of actual accounts owned by living bodies, living human beings, was far, far lower uh, than was you know, than was um, uh, originally offered to him. As it turns out, you know, as many as 20%, not 2 3 or 4%, but as many as 20% of the Twitter accounts were not living human beings. They were bots. And so, obviously, that makes the value of these shares a lot less. If you don't understand the concept, obviously, they sell advertising on the social media pages. The more eyes that see the ads, the more they can charge for the ads. Well, if there's 20% fewer sets of eyes on it because they're being run by bots, well, then the, the um, ads have to charge less, and, and thus the cost of Twitter was gonna, was, should have been lower to Elon Musk. That's what he tried to argue over the course of the last five, six months. But now it's over, and he has agreed to go ahead and complete the sale. NBC News reporter Ben Collins, among those in the mainstream media, underscoring and outlining and verbalizing the fears of the left. Oh, my goodness. We cannot allow this because this guy is going to allow people to speak freely. Let me give you a quote from NBC's Ben Collins. For those of you asking... Yes, I do think this site can and will change pretty dramatically if Musk gets full control over it. No, there is no immediate replacement. If it gets done early enough based on the people he's aligned with, yes, it could actually affect midterms, end quote. How about that? Immediately, the left concedes and admits that their control over the Twitter platform and thus content And thus, users, account holders, tweets, they get to block tweets, remove tweets, fact-check tweets, censor, suppress, suspend, and cancel users that they don't like. And they've been doing so ever since the the platform was invented by radical left-wing Silicon Valley hippies like Jack Dorsey, who was its CEO, This is what they've done. They have just completely bastardized free speech and said it's free if we decide it's free. And if we don't like your opinions, your dissenting opinions, we're going to cancel those. They have counted on that, and this is their concession. They have counted on that to help them win races, 
help them win. They know that Twitter is largely a political website, much more than it is anything else having to do with culture. I mean, and yes, there are sports accounts, but, but this, is, this is politics first and foremost. And they're admitting that our control over the public square, as it's oftentimes referred, uh, referred to, our control over the public square gives us some kind of, you know, uh, um, you know, at least a modicum of control over the political content and thus swaying and influencing voters. That could, in fact, impact the midterms. Well, here comes NBC's Ben Collins saying, yeah, and if we don't have control of it, obviously it could impact the midterms in the other direction. Not that Elon Musk taking over is going to lead to this massive crush of conservatism and conservative opinions, because Elon Musk is not a conservative. But Elon Musk has pledged to try to make the public square a public square, one in which nobody is shut down simply for their ideology, because they're too far right of center, or the fact that they're right of center at all. He is essentially going to let people speak, as long as it's within the bounds of the law. Because, you know, there are some things you cannot say. The First Amendment does not protect all speech. But unless it violates the law, he said people are going to be allowed to speak. And they're afraid that that's going to impact the midterm elections. If people on the conservative side of the aisle are able to speak freely without censorship from Twitter, there may be people who are influenced to vote for conservatives. So Collins is right. It might impact the midterms, and they're terrified because they wanted to impact the midterms alone with left-wing censorship and suppression tactics. Editor Neela Banjiri or Ban uh, uh, Banerji from NPR National Public Radio tweeted and retweeted Ben Collins, saying, "As usual, Ben Collins provides a useful thread on the broader implications for the rest of us of a Musk takeover of Twitter. Be afraid." Be actually afraid, said former Politico magazine editor Garrett Kraft. Euro News correspondent Shauna Murray said, The end of Twitter we know as we know it is nigh. Listen to the meltdown. Oh my gosh, the end of Twitter as we know it as a left-wing echo chamber in which no other dissenting opinions are allowed. Well, that might be over now. Well, we don't want to be a part of that. And as Collins alluded to, there's no replacement at this moment. Well, welcome to our world, because over the course of the last 10 years that it's gotten worse and worse and worse, as people like me, I had a Twitter account. I had 35, 40,000 followers. I was talking to them every day, getting engaging in good, solid debate. I got so tired of being shadow banned and censored and suspended uh, for tweets that were completely uh, within the boundaries of any community standards, I deleted my account. I deleted it right before, actually, they banned Donald Trump from it and booted him because I couldn't take it anymore. And you know what we said to ourselves? What's the replacement? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to go to share ideas? Where are we going to go to organize and mobilize, particularly those of us in the, in, in the political sphere? And the answer at that time was Parler for a while. Parler became a free speech alternative to Twitter, and it grew fast, very, very quickly. And in fact, it grew so fast, it scared the bejeebers out of the left wing uh, in the social media sphere and in the, uh, in the tech sphere. In other words, Apple and Google, which run social media because they're the ones who provide the platforms, 
If you don't get on the Apple App Store with your social media app, you have nothing. If you don't get on the Google Play Store with your social media app, you have nothing. So they booted Parler and said, yeah, we're not hosting Parler. So then we conservatives really had a, a, a you know a situation on our hands. We can't do Twitter. Where what we went to an alternative, we can't do that alternative. Where do we go? And for for a long time, we have just been in a state of flux. Now Trump Social came around. It's one tiny fraction of the size of Twitter, but Trump Social came around. Okay, we can go there, but it's nowhere near the impact and influence of Twitter. So we had nowhere to go, and now they're complaining we might not have anywhere to go. And the reality of the situation is they are not going to be treated the way conservatives have been treated by Twitter. Elon Musk has has, has uh, uh, promised to simply use free speech rules for everybody. If you're liberal, you get to speak. If you're conservative, you get to speak. If you're a centrist or a moderate, you get to speak. And nobody is going to cancel your account because they disagree with it. That's the only thing that Musk is doing is providing a free platform for all. And guess what? The party that screams for equity, that equity is first and foremost the most important thing. D.I.E., diversity, inclusion, and equity. Equity of outcomes for all. That's what they want. They don't like the idea of equity being provided by Twitter. Equal access for everybody, and thus, equitable outcomes. You can use Twitter as much as you did before, leftists. It's just that now, conservatives are going to be able to respond and say what they want to say as well. It's simple. It's fair. It's freedom. And that's what they despise about it so very much. Now, I've got a lot more on this story, and I've got a lot more other very important stories for you. We're going to hit the culture war hard in this first hour. I welcome you, 216-901-0945. Be a part of the conversation, but understand I do have a lot of stuff I need to present right here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Joy Reid is uh, Joy Less. Now, Joy Reid has always been Joy Less, but she is uh, is even less joyful than she has ever been before. She retweeted a comment from author Don Winslow about Elon Musk's uh, tw- uh, Twitter purchase, which read, If Musk gets control of Twitter, and Zuckerberg has control of Facebook, and CNN is under new Republican-backed management, we have a massive problem. And do not listen to anyone who tells you different. First of all, again, I love that they are wetting their pants over the idea that freedom of speech might apply to Twitter now. But what's even better is they're so hysterical and so freaked out, they think that Mark Zuckerberg is their enemy. Mark Zuckerberg has been working with the FBI in using uh, their platform to spy on and provide information on political dissidents. 
It's almost Chinese Communist Party level stuff. Zuckerberg is not a friend of the conservative movement. What on earth are these people talking about? Second of all, CNN is hardly under new Republican-backed management. CNN just recognized they were going to go under at the ratings that they were getting with their far-left, fact-free, pure, uh, DNC-run television network. I mean, they were just dying. They, they literally, I mean, Fox News was triple and quadrupling them in the ratings in their primetime lineups because they're just so blatantly biased. So Twitter, I mean, uh, CNN has not gone Republican. It's not gone conservative. It's not even gone straight up free, free speech or fair, uh, uh, you know, uh, fair and balanced coverage. It's simply just pulling away a little bit from their 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 deathly, uh, uh, you know, pathetic economic model. They they just cannot pull in advertisers and pull in dollars with the ratings that they were getting with their far left fact free news organization. So the left is so beside themselves now. They think it's all coming apart because Elon Musk is going to bring free speech to the public square, which is Twitter. And now they think that Mark Zuckerberg is somehow their enemy, and that Mark Zuckerberg is somehow aligned with conservatives. I mean, it is it is hilarious, and I'm gonna give you one last clip here—not clip, but uh, sound or a uh, uh, statement—before the news. Just so you know, to 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 make it crystal clear that Elon Musk taking over is good for free speech, and it is good for the opportunity be, to be heard by all. The Southern Poverty Law Center is against this. Quote: If you think Elon Musk giving Trump. Project Veritas and Alex Jones, a bigger social platform to manipulate, will benefit the future of free speech. You're totally delusional. That from the Southern Poverty Law Center senior investigative reporter, Michael Edison Hayden. Giving news, uh, well, let, let me hold off on the next one because I do want to get to our newscast here. So it's 930, we'll do news, we'll come back, and we'll take your calls, and we've got more for you right here on Always Right Radio. And- ally of our free people is the truth. Because the truth often poses a threat to power. Always right with Bob France. Truth is the most important value we have. On AM 1420, the answer. Yeah, it does. It does. Truth is a, a huge threat to power, especially when the power that you wield is built on lies. There is, you know, that's a, that's a very obvious statement. It's uh, 937. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, the answer. So... Identity politics um, is quite obviously the linchpin, the cornerstone of the leftist movement in this country now. And when I say identity, it's it's all different identities, racial identities, gender identities, sexual identities, uh, identity politics first and foremost, above all. And as an example of that, um, let me share this piece of news with you. The Treasury Department, the new vice chair of the Treasury Department, is uh, has come forth with new racial or uh, with a new racial equity committee that is going to be committed to defunding police and centering race in all policy all policy doesn't matter what it is the center of it the cornerstone of it must be race Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen yesterday announced the formation of a 25-member committee called the Treasury Advisory. I'm sorry, let me do that again. Treasury Advisory Committee on Racial Equity, which will identify, monitor, and review aspects of the domestic economy that have directly and indirectly resulted in what they deem to be unfavorable conditions for communities of color. In the latest iteration of the Biden administration's inclusion of capitalism critics in federal governance. Felicia Wong is the president and CEO of the Roosevelt Institute, 
and is now the uh, uh, leader of this uh, nascent racial equity committees uh, 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 committee that's been created by Treasury. She's the vice chair. Now, she's a former executive at the Democracy Alliance, which is a network of liberal megadonors founded by George Soros. Since 2012, so a decade now, she's led the Roosevelt Institute, which is a left-wing think tank that wants to abolish prisons, reimagine capitalism, in other words, destroy it, and put racial justice at the center of all government policymaking. Now, I don't want to go too far into this, into, into too much depth. It's a very lengthy report. It's a lengthy story. But just understand that their goal is to make sure that racial outcome, or excuse me, equitable outcomes on the basis of race are at the center of all policy made by the federal government and pushed and supported in the, uh, pub- in the uh, public domain. So, or the private domain, beg your pardon. In this environment, a focus on democracy and racial justice means the, excuse me, means that issues such as filibuster reform or elimination must be on the table, she declared. The filibuster has been disproportionately used throughout history by segregationists and white supremacists. Today continues to stall progress on key democracy priorities, protecting voting rights, which are not under under attack, ending partisan gerrymandering, which is not uh, an issue, and it has not been for decades. The party that is not in power always complains that the party is in power is drawing unfair lines. This is not new, and it is certainly not racial. Curbing the influence of corporate money and lobbying in our rulemaking process and creating stronger ethics laws for federal office holders. These all have racial justice implications, she declares. Since the current system prioritizes a lobbying and corporate interest-driven system dominated by those who are wealthy and white and whose interest is in preserving the status quo. So the mission here is to create new laws and new programs and new policies that push and demand and mandate equity in terms of race, in terms of health, climate, and virtually everything that they can possibly put their fingers into. Now, as an example of how they are going to use race in the, in the public and in the private domain, with these new radical policies, all centered on equity and thus identity politics. Here is an example of what has already begun. A white nurse in College Station, Texas, has been fired from her job as a nurse after 39 years. Why? Because she refused to say that she's a racist because she's white. You catch that? If you're white and you don't admit to your implicit racism as a white person, you're fired. This is the direction that this country, this uh, workforce, this uh, our, our entire economy is headed if we don't stop this immediately and if we don't win in November. A Texas-based nurse was fired from her nursing job earlier this year when she refused to participate in an implicit bias training program where the core tenet of the course is that all white people are racist solely because they're white. This is the basis of the course. You're white. You're a racist. You have to admit it in order to overcome it so that we can all benefit later on. Now, somebody tell me, would you, would you work under those circumstances? Would you agree to that? She wouldn't. Laura Morgan had been in the medical field for nearly 40 years 
And for all of those years, she said she's been providing equal care to all of her patients without regard to their race. But her job came to an end this year when she said she uh, refused to falsely admit to being a racist by way of this mandatory implicit bias training grounded in the idea that I am racist simply because I'm white. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it should. Because you know what they are using in these corporate structures and in these health uh, um, industry structures? It's, it's CRT. It's the same critical race theory that they're trying to put into the schools to tell young white kids the same thing. You have to admit your own racism. You were born with pale skin. You are therefore clearly a racist, and you have to atone for that. You have to acknowledge that, ask for forgiveness for that, apologize and make up for it, and then pledge to not be racist anymore, even though you still will be because you'll always be white. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. This is what they do with CRT training in, or education in schools. Now, this is what they're doing uh, in uh, 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 industry and in, in corporate America, obviously in the health industry. The training was called Overcoming Unconscious Bias. And Lori Moore, Laura Morgan was troubled by how the course presented an indisputable fact that all white people are racist and thus all white people need to address the matter and atone for their racism. She asked her supervisor if she could talk to the training uh, trainers who were going to be hosting this thing and kind of get some clarification on this. They wouldn't do it. They sent a uh, surrogate in for the supervisor of the training and said, you know, you're going to have to do this. She said, I'm looking for an exemption here because I'm not going to stand up and say I'm a racist because I happen to be a certain color when there's not a racist bone in my body. And the supervisor told her, I don't want you to die on this cross. Meaning, don't push us on this. If you don't take the training, you're going to be fired. Well, guess what? She said, I'm not going to take the training. I'm not going to admit to, to, to um, inborn racism, something that I could not possibly control because of the color of my skin. I'm not going to do that. I'm not racist, and I won't say that I am. She, she now has gone from a six-figure income to zero, and now there is a massive lawsuit, which there should be. But this is, again, just one more example. And there are plenty more. I want to talk about the latest now, again, because all of these things are related. First on attacks on people based on their race. And now let's talk about attacks on people based on their religion. If you thought that Jack Phillips was out of the woods because he won at the Supreme Court in the 10-year-old case of Masterpiece Cake Shop being at, uh, being accused of being uh, homophobic for refusing to bake cakes for a gay wedding. You know the story by now. It went through 10 years of appeals, and he finally won in that case at the Supreme Court. You'd think he'd be living his life in Colorado, making his cakes, doing his thing, making his cakes for gay people, by the way, because he never wasn't. He just wasn't going to do it for a gay wedding, which is a celebration and a union that he believed in the Bible. Uh, it was specifically between one man and one woman. You know the story. His life is not, is not back to normal because they're so angry. The left in Colorado are so angry that he won. They have decided to make, it, make an example of him and send more people in with different cases to demand that he make a cake and then have him refuse based on his religious beliefs. And then, then they, of course, sue him again. So he has gotten together with Lori uh, Smith, and they've written an op-ed that was just posted today. And it was run by USA Today. 
And in this op-ed, Lori Smith, by the way, let me give you her story super quick. She owns a company called 303 Creative. You know what she does? She designs websites specifically for weddings. She's a graphic artist. She loves to design and designs websites for weddings. And the same exact thing, of course, happened to her. She's also in Colorado. The same exact thing happened to her. Same-sex couple came in and said demanded a, a website for their wedding. She said, I can't do that. That's not what my faith is. My faith is that their marriage is between one man and one woman. Do you have another event you'd like me to do for you? I'd be happy to, just not a wedding. So she is now in the same boat. So Jack Phillips and Lori Smith have written an op-ed together that is, that is running, I think, in papers around the country. And you should be paying attention to what we all should. And thank God, literally, for Alliance Defending Freedom, which continue to provide uh, legal services to Jack Phillips and to Lori Smith. But I want to share some of this with you, because this is what we're facing. From one end of this country to the other, this is what we're facing. The issues at stake in our legal cases are so basic that it's hard to understand why they should require litigation at all, much less a trip for each of us to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yet Colorado officials say they have the right to tell us, as artists, what to communicate. And if we don't agree with the state's view on the big issues of our time, coercion. But there's no way to make that that gel with freedom of speech in America. As much of America knows by now, Jack Phillips owns Masterpiece Cake Shop. He's a cake artist in the Denver area who wants to create custom cakes consistent with his beliefs. That includes custom cakes celebrating a biblical understanding of marriage. In 2018, the Supreme Court, in a 7-2 decision, ruled in Jack's favor. The nation's highest court said the Colorado Civil Rights Commission violated the free exercise clause of the First Amendment by ordering Jack to make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. Lori Smith, I just told you her story, 303 Creative, she wants to create wedding websites without being forced to do things that violate her religious beliefs. Like Jack, Lori is represented by Alliance Defending Freedom, sincerely believes in God's design for marriage expressed in the Bible, but because a Colorado law requires her, as it did Jack, to create art inconsistent with the core of who she is, she is going to the United States Supreme Court as well. It saddens us that, in a country we love so dearly, our state is denying our basic constitutional rights. And it's painful when people call us hateful names and seem to forget we both serve those who identify as LGBTQ and have done so throughout our careers. Even state officials who oppose us concede this. Like most artists, we simply cannot design every message requested. We never dreamed something so common sense would bring so much persecution. Jack has been targeted virtually nonstop for more than a decade, with oral arguments and the latest Masterpiece Cake Shop taking play, uh, case taking place at the Colorado Court of Appeals on Wednesday. It's one thing to be sued repeatedly. It's another to watch your family suffer harassment and face death threats and be forced to lay off longtime employees and lose a substantial part of your business. Lori has faced the uncertainty of litigation for six years, waking up every day knowing that her state is preventing her from doing the kind of artistic work she most wants to do. She, too, has received death threats, as have her child and her family. That's a lot to endure simply because some disagree with our faith's teachings about marriage, but we stand firm on the hope that one day those who misunderstand and mistreat us will see we're standing for them too. Our cases aren't about what any of us believe regarding marriage. They're about freedom for all of us from government oppression and respecting the right of each to our own opinion, even if we don't always agree. That's how we live and run our businesses. We treat people even who disagree with us with respect. We don't want to see anyone of a differing opinion stripped of their freedom. 
their livelihood, the the safety of their families, or the fulfillment of their dreams. Not the LGBTQ web designer, not the atheist cake artist, not the Muslim photographer, not the Democratic speechwriter. No one should be forced to speak messages that violate their core convictions. So this term, Lori, will go before the Supreme Court, which will answer the question, does a state have the right to compel you to express ideas that violate your deepest personal beliefs? We hope for all of us, the high court says no, and rules in favor of free speech, ensuring Colorado and every state respects and makes room for everyone's beliefs. After all, that's what the Constitution and equality under the law requires. That is what we want for our children and our grandchildren and yours, a world where everyone, no matter who they are, is free to speak and advocate for the ideas they truly believe in. Lori Smith and Jack Phillips. So they wrote that piece as the Supreme Court session gets underway that is going to be hearing both of their cases again. Jack targeted this time not for a same-sex wedding, which was the original uh, case that was brought against him that he eventually won in the Supreme Court, but this time they came to him saying, Make a gender transition cake. We have somebody who's going to go from being a boy to a girl or a girl to a boy. We need to make you a blue uh, morphing into a pink cake. He said, I can't do that. I can't do that. That violates my religious beliefs. I do not believe uh, in, in transitioning from what God made one. And that's my opinion, and that's my belief. You want to do it? Go ahead. Have a great time. If you want me to make a cake for this transitioning person of a different kind, a happy birthday cake, that's fine, too. But I can't do something that celebrates this transition story. And now he finds himself in the very early stages of what was a 10-year fight to clear his name and his company uh, all the way to the Supreme Court the first time around, perhaps in for another. Uh, He may be fighting this for the rest of his life simply because he refuses to submit and their anger and their their rage that he is actually winning because the Constitution is on his side. And reason and common sense are on his side and not the side of the evildoers in the state of Colorado. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.